Hi, Kevin. Hey. We are officially in the new studio. I don't know if that's going to make the sound much better, but I hope so. How do you like being in the new studio? It's nice. It is nice. Man, it's cozy. Nice and warm and cozy. So our episode today, episode six, is a man by the name of Jacob Wilson. He is an avid hunter and a family man. And he wanted to come on and talk about what he does a little bit with his hunting. And we talked about a lot of different things. Got into politics a little bit. Got into aliens. Aliens. It was a pretty good one, I think. Yeah. I think that's a good way to end every episode is just talk for 10 minutes about aliens. <laughs> yeah. Just to get a lot of points of view about aliens. Yeah. Yeah. We've... Uh, We've talked a little bit, touched on it a couple episodes, but talked some alien stuff in this one. That was fun. So, yeah, we are in the studio officially. So, hopefully, it sounds a little bit better. All right. Well, it's my birthday. It's time to eat some cheesecake. And we hope you guys enjoy the episode. Love you, Kevin. Love you, too. <laughs> Bye. Jacob Wilson. Do you go by Jake or Jacob? Jacob. I guess I'll let it slide. Yeah. You're a Jake? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gone by Jake my whole life. It's just something I've always got. I've thought about as I've gotten older, maybe switching, but it's too late to switch. Your mom calls you Jacob, though. What's that? Your mom calls you Jacob. My mom calls me Jacob. My wife calls me Jacob sometimes. Yeah. Usually when I'm in trouble with either one of them, that's when <laughs> Jacob comes out. Yeah, when I was younger, I remember it was a big deal to me that Everybody called me Jake mm-hmm. because I thought it was, I don't know, it was more masculine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think when I was, oh gosh, maybe junior high, for whatever reason, I decided that, you know, I'll just go by whatever my parents call me. So, yeah. 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 Same same here. Wife, mom, dad, everybody yeah. calls me Jacob. Mm-hmm. The only people that call me Jake are my friends. Yeah. 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 I've, I've been Jake to most people in my life, but <clears throat> yeah, it's... It's a good name. Strong name. Yeah. <laughs> it comes from the Bible. It does. Yes. It does. So, I guess we can st- roll right into talking about hunting, uh, if you want to. Um, sure. I know you're a big hunter. Yeah. D- have you been doing that your whole life? Yeah. It, it, uh, it's always been in the family. Um, I can remember just being a just a kid, probably, I think probably earliest memories when I was maybe like six or seven. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we would go, um, and uh, it was my great grandparents, and they would uh, we'd go up towards Elk City. We'd go up into the Selway and uh, set up a camp. Go up there, everybody would show up. It'd be a big family tradition, and then uh, just spending that time with my family up there just kind of ingrained into me kind of that desire to one to hunt, which is a big part of it. But uh, for me, just the camaraderie that I have with my family, uh, the friends that I've made through, you know, being outdoors and, and doing this, you know, basically my whole life. That's a big, that's a big move for me and thing. And it motivates me, uh, to keep going and, and just enjoy it more. But yeah, started with my grandparents, my great grandparents, and it's just been in my family ever since. And then, uh, my dad obviously was a big influence for me growing up. And, uh, so I'm passing that down to my kids, my, 
I got a 16 year old daughter. Um, I've got a uh, 14 year old son, a nine year old son, and a eight year old daughter. So you got your hands full. I got a pile. So <laughs> just being outdoors, we love it. My wife didn't grow up in it. Uh, she uh, started going out with me when when uh, when I'd go hunting and kind of learned to love it. Now she's a fanatic. She mm-hmm. loves it. We go to hunting shows and travel around and. We're always looking for different places to just explore and, and, you know, go see different terrain. And we just went up to Montana. Uh, we've been up there twice this year, just, you know, checking out different areas, kind of, you know, the, the hunting is, is one part of it, but it's a very small part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, just being outdoors and being away from all of this stuff Mm -hmm. is a huge motivator for us right now. It's not, it's not the harvest. It's not the, you know, taking the picture with the animal at all. It's going out, putting a camp on your back, hiking in six, seven miles and, you know, sleeping on the ground, cooking your food, filtering your water. Yeah. Those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think it's very healthy too, man. Like, you know, I've never talked to or heard talk about how they hate hunting or why why people hunt. It's like, man, like. I understand maybe you didn't grow up with it, but you have to understand how awesome it is for your kids to get out, get away from the city, get away from being stuck inside playing video games, being stuck inside doing homework. Things like maybe making that better of a person, putting that much more into all that, making out outside learning something and being constructive. You know, when people are negative towards hunting, which I've actually met quite a few, I mean, man, I think you're just missing perspective here, yeah. you know? And I think the other person is right. The homeowner who's hunting is right. At least my objective point of view, I think, is correct. Um, and maybe they're just envious because they're not doing constructive things like that. Their time is spent hanging out with their friends downtown or wherever the hell they're doing. But I'm totally not on their side with yeah. that at all. It's like, no, I think the, the kids are going to be raised better or the ones that are doing that. No. You know, you know it, it, for us, it, it is a, it's a lifestyle. So, you know, we choose to live a lifestyle where we try to eat cleaner food. You know, my, my wife is a workout fanatic. And, uh, if you follow any of the stuff, she always tags me. So you'll see her, but she's, you know, she wants to eat clean all the time. I'm, I'm not that healthy, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's a big part of it for us. We want to eat healthy. Um, you know, we have a little farm at our house. So we do the eggs. Uh, we have a steer that we're going to, you know, harvest later this year. So we're going to have, all grass-fed beef. Uh, elk is phenomenal. I don't know if you guys have ever ate elk before, yep. but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's as good as, as, as good as anything that I can find anywhere else. And so that's a big motivator for us. But for the, you know, there's people obviously that don't understand it. Um, and that's fine. And I would just tell anybody and, and I, I'm not, you know, if that's not for them, that's fine. But I would tell anybody that, uh, who's never experienced it, take some time and go with somebody. Cause I guarantee if you know a hunter, they'll take you mm-hmm. and go out and learn a little bit about it and kind of open your eyes to what it's really about. And, you know, one thing I'll, I'll always bring up is my, uh, my youngest son when he was six. So three years ago we went in and, uh, I brought my youngest son. I brought my youngest daughter. She was on a, on my back in a backpack. So she was four at the time. And, uh, my wife, uh, was with me. Anyways, we went into this area and I knew there was elk in the area. And, uh, my son, 
ever since he was born, both of all my kids really, but ever since he was born, he loves to bugle and mm-hmm. he can do it with his voice because he's the younger kids mm-hmm. tend to be able to do it. So anyways, I gave him the bugle and let him bugle and no shit. He calls in a five by five to 20 yards. <laughs> my son, six years old and my daughter's on my back. He's next to me. And we, and we never harvested an animal. My wife, it, my, it was a, it was a hunt for my wife, but just being able to video that my son calling in a five by five at six years old. And I didn't call, I didn't do any calling at all. And he was, you know, to see the expression on his face, to hear the bulls bugle back to him and, and to come in to where we could see them. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a cool the most experience. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that's why I think it's so important. People, everybody gets upset because obviously, you know, the goal is to harvest an animal and it's, you know, that's a hard part of it, but that's such a small part mm-hmm. of the whole, the whole experience. I mean, most guys, I'm an archery guy and most guys like me, we're just tech nerds. We want to know what's the next technology, you know, what's the new thing that came out on the bow? What's the newest arrow? What's the broadhead? What kind of boots? What kind of pants? What kind of gear are you using? And we're just geary, you know, we just have that gear mind, you know, Mm -hmm. how do I make it lighter? How do I make it better? What works more efficiently? Like I did a, you know, kind of a big topic in the archery world. If you, if you go back country hunting is how much is your pathway? when you go in. So we did a, we did a five day hunt and, uh, you know, I, I packed everything for five days, my water, my filter, my sleeping gear, everything and went in and, uh, it was like 36 pounds. So that's, you know, that's the, the nerd in me. And I want, you know, I'm always trying to figure out how do I shave weight? What else can I do? So now at 36 pounds, what else can I do to make my pack lighter? Well, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a new sleep system. My sleep system will cut off like three pounds and I'll be at 33 pounds. Well, I've, yeah. heard, I've heard of guys like uh, even shaving down their toothbrush handles oh, and yeah. things like that to make their pack lighter. Yeah. I I grew up around hunting as well. Um, I didn't hunt as a small child and it's <clears throat> my dad was a big hunter for most of his life. Yeah. But after having kids and a family and stuff and work, he kind of put the brakes on hunting. So as a small child, I never went. I had really good friends that grew up in hunting families and hunted all the time. And it was something I always really wanted to do. And one of our good friends that Kevin and I grew up with, his name's Will, he grew up, his dad had hounds and they did bear hunting and all that good stuff. And my first year, because I went and got my, went to hunter's ed and stuff. I think I was 13 or 14 when I finally did that. And I went and did that. Uh, my dad said, okay, we're going to go. So we went up to Atlanta, Atlanta, Idaho. And my buddy, Will, I was talking about, he came with us because it was kind of cool for even my dad who had, he hadn't done in years. So it was kind of cool. He had this 14 year old kid who's a way better outdoorsman than him or I or any of us. He, we brought him with him for that reason. Cause he kind of knew what he was doing. He grew yeah. up doing it. And we pulled into camp. We were literally unloading the coolers and our camp was right next to a road and across the road was a hillside. And I was, I was young enough. I could shoot a doe or a buck, whatever. And to me, I didn't care about antlers or not. I just wanted to get the meat and the experience. So anyways, we're unloading coolers and my buddy, Will shouts deer. I'm like, yeah, right. We literally just got here. And he drops cooler, picks up his gun and goes running. I'm like, Oh, he's serious. So I grabbed my gun. 
and they were literally right in our camp where we were setting up a whole whole bunch of them. We both pull up, and the road is behind him. We hear cars coming. I'm like, oh no! And he's yelling, "Don't shoot! Don't shoot! Don't shoot!" So we wait. Those cars go by. They run across the road up the hillside. I I was using, I think I was using a two forty three at the time, and I look up on the hillside, and there's a pretty big doe. I pulled up, pulled the trigger, got her right in the vitals, perfect shot, rolled right down the hill, right to the road, pulled across the road and it was in camp. Probably never, ever going to happen again. And for a first experience, I kind of wish that wouldn't happen because I I think I thought it was going to be that easy from then on out, which I learned later on in life. That's not the case, but it was, it was kind of cool for my first experience. It was all. It was kind of crazy how quick it went, and then we were there for a whole weekend. So I, I still hunted with everybody else. I was, I had already filled my tag, but got that whole weekend in, and I fell in love with it. And my dad refell in love with it again too. And then I hunted every year after that for a long time, and I haven't hunted now in probably six years. And we just went on a trip up to Redfish Lake a couple yeah. weekends ago, and we went on a hike up there. And as we're hiking, I was telling my wife, I'm like, this makes me want to get back into hunting. I really want to get back into it. And so that's something I'm kind of looking, maybe next year, getting back into it again, because it's been a long time for me. And I've never bow hunted. I've always wanted to try that as well. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, we were talking about people that have, are against hunting or whatever. I think people that don't know anything about hunting, they picture old fat hillbillies shooting street signs, drinking beer and shooting. And that's not the case. 90% of the time or more. I mean, you, you look like you're in pretty good shape. And I, I've, and I think like podcasts like Joe Rogan, who he's had like Cam Haynes and all these guys, uh, people are more aware now that hunters are not all illiterate hillbillies and all that stuff. There's intelligent people that hunt and they do it to provide for their family. Yeah. And some of them are damn near professional athletes because you got to be in good shape to get out there and hike. I think the people that are against it don't realize that there are good, intelligent people that do it. And it's not for a, a bad reason. They're not out going out for blood. You know yeah. what I mean? I think it's just like any other, you know, part of life is it takes one person to ruin it for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I got a pet peeve with uh, people and, you know, gun owners specifically you know, I, I go out and sight in my rifle with my son the other day, and I don't know why this is, but it just drives me cra- crazy. But we go out to the shooting range, and we're sighting in the rifle, and you look around, and the, so to me, a hunter is somebody that takes, you know, takes some pride in who mm-hmm. you are, and takes responsibility for the things you do, and you're accountable. And I, I think for the most part, people who hunt are a type personality people. Doesn't mean you're, you know, you're always the, the lead guy, but generally, you know, if you're hiking with a guy that's a hunter, he wants to be in, you know, up front. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that says, Hey, let's go over the next hill, you know, that kind of stuff. But you go out to these shooting ranges, these public shooting ranges. And for me, looking at these shooting ranges filled with trash, filled with debris everywhere. And I go out there and shoot with my son the other day and it, it looks like a dump out there. And I'm just like, I don't understand. So to me, it just takes one person to ruin it and mm-hmm. give somebody a bad idea of what this is supposed to be about. 
Oh yeah. 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 And that goes, that's the hubris of man, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I can do whatever I want. You can't tell me what to do, but I'm a fucking man. So don't question that. Right. It's like, no, you're not. You have a gun, but you're also the same guy that doesn't mow your own fucking lawn. You know what I mean? You're not an A type. You're a fake. You're a B type. You are the Omega, whatever. Yeah. Because the guy who does hunt responsibly is also the guy that has all the other traits. You see it across the board. Yeah. I take care of my house is in order. My lawn's in order, you know. Things like that. Everything's squared away because that's part of their fundamental values. And yeah, like I do go to, I go to Parma range. I'm actually going today. It's always clean because you have some ownership in that, right? You pay your fees. Sure. And collectively everyone at Parma knows like, Hey, don't fuck around. If someone's doing something stupid, you know, call them out, whatever. That's why I like that range. It is like a community out there, you know, and I refuse to go anywhere else anymore because that's what you see. People just, you know, not respecting the area well, my grandfather, he's a fanatic, and uh, so he has, he has a couple of memberships to, to some clubs around here. Same thing. Those areas are great. You know, those guys take ownership in what they do and how they conduct themselves and, you know, make sure that they keep things the way they're supposed to be. But I guarantee you, if you ask those people out at those public gun ranges, if they wanted to keep their rights, every single one of them would say, yeah, I'm... I'm a proponent, right? I, I want to make sure that I keep my gun rights and I want to make sure that nobody infringes upon that. But that's the same person that will sit there and bring a TV out there mm-hmm. and shoot it into 9,000 pieces <clears throat> and yeah. leave the trash there. Yeah. Right? And right. I, to me, those two things can't go together. So if you yeah. want, if you want to be a proponent, you want to support keeping gun rights and not having those things infringed upon, well then be the person that leads or even know? keeping yeah. The place to be able to go shoot your guns. Yeah. I, I, I grew up shooting out of Black Street. Right. Not at the range, but Black Street Reservoir. Oh, I've been there. Yeah. Well, you can't shoot there anymore. It's right. fenced off. It's now, I think, a wild bird refuge, which is cool. But as a kid going out there, it was just what you were saying. People were bringing TVs, mattresses. I mean, everything you think of. And some people would just go out there and dump stuff. Right. But you would get these idiots who would come out to shoot. And they just shoot the shit out of refrigerators, whatever they bring out there, and then leave them. Yeah. Um, I was raised to pick up after myself. Uh, and I think most of the guys we hung around with, that's how we all were. But you you would see that, you know. And then there was also the teenagers that would bonfire out there, which we all did. And leaving trash, <clears throat> burning pallets, and then just leaving nails and all that. And they end up shutting it down. I mean, you can't even go out there anymore to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that... That's a good point. Like, this is almost going to sound political, so fuck it. It's political. But, <laughs> like, the right's gonna, the right will say less government interaction. It's up to the parents to have good fundamental values, yeah. right? That's why religion is more supported on the right. Those fundamental values you have growing up are what makes sure you're that person who cleans up after yourself. The, the left side, and I'm not a fascist, but I am for this if it goes, our country keeps on going that way. It's like, hey, now we're going to have to enforce shit and babysit everybody because no one has these fundamentals anymore, these ethics. So you would do it maybe the way we did it in fucking, like, sniper school, right? Like, the when you go through Hunter's Ed, if there's one piece of brass left out, everyone's getting fucked up. You know what <laughs> I mean? Get your ghillie suit. We're crawling on this fucking field for three hours now. So if you have that sort of attention to detail, people understand, oh, it's now ha- it's habitual. I'll clean up after myself. I'll do things the right way. It shouldn't have to be that way because that would be under a socialist or fascist government to force people to do something more than they're expected to, to, in order to be squared away. Well, I think it's a, you it's know? a discipline thing because <clears throat> I think, especially if you're doing like public land hunting, 
it takes a disciplined person to be able to succeed because there's so many people you're out there competing with. Now, I mean, you know, you, you hunt a lot from what I, I've heard and you're going out there competing with every other guy out there that's, that wants to shoot a deer or an elk or whatever you're hunting. The more disciplined guy is going to pack deeper into the country and they're going to have more chance of success because less people are going to get back there. <clears throat> um, not everybody has, you know, the option to go on private land and all that, which is nice. I, I, I find it a lot on private land. I used to work on a ranch and that is another thing that spoiled me. I could walk out the door and shoot a deer. Yeah. But I mean, I, there's so much public land. There's tons of it, but with as many people that hunt, you got to get, I mean, you probably know better than me, but you probably got to get pretty deep in there to be successful. I would imagine. Yeah. I actually, I used to hunt, uh, uh, a unit just North of us and, um, forever grown. I grew up in Cascade and forever, you know, you'd, you'd have areas that you'd go hunt and they're kind of like little honey holes and nobody would be there. And, uh, nothing against private property. If I own private property, I would probably do it the same way. Uh, just because I know how people are mm -hmm. and that's the sad truth. But, uh, there was the uh, Texas billionaires that came up oh, and mm -hmm. bought a bunch of that land up. And that used to be uh, potlatch land. So I think originally it was Boise Cascade, potlatch bought it from them, and they just kept it open. And you could hunt it, and you could get back into areas where, you know, basically once you're about a mile off a road in, in mountain terrain, you're going to have, you know, maybe 10 to 15% of the people that actually go hunt are going to end up in those areas. And you get beyond a mile, you get two miles, you know, the rate drops three mm -hmm. miles, the rate drops more. Mm -hmm. So I would, I had areas that we would hunt and we'd get, you know, two and a half, three miles in there and never see anybody ever. And it was, you know, it was perfect because you had, you know, the best opportunity to find animals that hadn't been messed with that are, you know, doing their thing every single day. And once you find them, you know, they're not geared up and, you know, they haven't been shot at, they haven't been, you know, messed with, mm -hmm. but, when those Texas billionaires came in there, they shut everything down. They bought up that potlatch land, locked everything up, had it patrolled. Obviously, you know, I'm sure you guys heard about yeah. all the stuff that's <laughs> gone up there. And what that did is it took the general public and took them out of those areas and started forcing them into areas that they would normally never go. Mm -hmm. So one day I show up, I'm, a, I'm going to a trailhead that I'm a, uh, I've used for the last five or six years and seen, I had seen two people in there. And we hunted the same area every single year. So it was kind of, you kind of get to know him. It was a, uh, a guy and his son, uh, out of Emmett. Okay. So anyways, I get up in there and, uh, I've only ever seen two people in there in like almost six years. Well, three years ago, I show up at the trailhead. It's like 4:45 AM dark. And there's six people standing at that trailhead. And, <laughs> You know, which is fine. I mean, it's public land. I'm all for it. I, I really don't have an issue with it. Um, obviously, I'm concerned about my success and not their success. Mm -hmm. But I show up and there's a guy there with his two boys. The two boys are wearing like swim trunks and tennis shoes. And the one kid has like a Hawaiian hat on backwards and stuff, and which is awesome. It, do whatever you want to do. I, I, I'm the type of person, I don't know what you would classify me as, but... I, if you want to do something, it's on you. I'm mm -hmm. going to do me, you do you, yeah. however you want to, you know, however I mean, you want to. I think that's how it should be. Yeah, it's however you want to conduct yourself own. is up to you. But 
so there's six people there. There's the guy with the two kids. They, you know, what doing their thing. I get to talking to him and he goes, well, yeah, my buddy said there's a, there's really good bear in this area. And this is, there's no bear in this area yeah. at all. And, uh, I mean, it's a great elk hunting area. So, and then the, there's another guy walking up, uh, to the trailhead. I see him come up, uh, below and he parks, comes up and he goes, well, my wife and I, uh, were going on a walk yesterday and just found this trail, which again, it, that's great. It's public land. Go use it. I have no problem with it. I was the first guy at the trailhead. So here's my issue. I'm the first guy at the trailhead. To me, if I'm the first guy, I'm hunting this area. Mm -hmm. They didn't have that same philosophy. They wanted to follow me in there. And now all of a sudden a place that, you know, maybe three people have hunted in the last six years during a certain season. Now there's going to be six, seven, eight people in there. And then it just exponentially grows because everybody's being forced off of this, what used to be public land into these you know smaller corridors and it just blows the elk out. So mm -hmm. we didn't see any elk. We didn't hear any elk. The elk had been blown out of there because there have been so many people forced into that area. So for me, you know, if I show up to a trailhead and there's somebody parked there or there's somebody, you know, at that trailhead, I'm going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be on top of somebody. To me, there's, that's the ethics behind behind all that but that that private property part of it um obviously there's a lot of people that hunt private property that's great but for me i don't know there's that's kind of the that's a gut check for <laughs> me because there's there's a right way i think to hunt uh private property and then there's private property that you know they do the high fences and all this other yeah. stuff which yeah. we don't have I don't think we really have any of that here in Idaho. No, it's not like, I mean, I think you get that in like the Midwest a lot. Yeah. Texas, I yeah. think a lot, but I know the private property, cause I, I worked on it. It was up in, well, you said you grew up in Cascade. Yeah. It was up in Donnelly. Yeah. So I'm sure you know the area pretty well up there. Were you on a little ranch? Um, pretty good size ranch. So no, I mean like little as, Oh no, not, I know exactly. I know them, but okay. no, no, it was a, would winter our cows down here out around Micron stuff like that okay. in that area, all the way over to Lucky Peak Reservoir, all the way to Black Street Road, big big land there. I think that's owned by Yankee. Okay, not, not there, but my my boss leased all that from. Up there, it was uh, you know Norwood Road up there. Mm -mm. Try to think. Anyways, so it's on the west side of Donnelly, and we had eleven hundred acres of irrigated pasture, all big, uh, pivots out there. Mm -hmm. And that was all hay, hay fields on the other side of the road was 560 acres of solid lodgepole and pine. Some of the best, easiest hunting I've ever done. And I, I worked there for three years and we would, we'd summer the cows up there and we'd be there through summer into fall, right? in hunt season. Yeah. And you were on, you were on the <coughs> West mountain side though. Yes. Okay. Yeah. West mountain side. Um, that's my stomping ground. That's where I hunt. It's, I mean, that's, that's my, some of my favorite country in the world. I, I love it up there. I proposed my wife up there. Actually. There you go. I, I took her up there just for that. Cause on the property we worked on kind of going off track here on the story, but there is, so we had a bunch of houses and stuff where we stayed some bunk houses and stuff like that. And there was a big barn there. They called the party barn. And the guy that owns, the guy that actually owns all that, he doesn't even live here. He lives in California. He's a doctor, California, yeah. a lot of money, but he also has cows of his own here. And my boss and him became really good friends. 
my boss leased all that property up there from him, so we'd run our cows on, and we took care of his as well. Um, so he has this big barn there, and they use it for like church functions and stuff like that for parties, and it's that's what it's set up for, and it's pretty cool. Has a stage and lights and everything aside. I think my buddy's been there actually. <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised. They do like a church. He did a church retreat there. Yeah, they do like it's called like the cowboy camp or something yep. like that every year up there. Yeah. And we always hated when that came to town because it's literally right where we're living. And yeah. you have all these tents popped up and they were in the way. That's a whole nother story. Anyway, so originally I wanted to get married there. So I took my wife and I had I wasn't working on the ranch anymore, but I still knew knew everybody. So took her up there and I proposed to her there, and I told her when I proposed, I'm like, well, I don't know if we can get married here, but at least I can pro- propose to you here. So I, I love that country up there. But anyways, uh, yeah, hunt, hunting up there, I mean, it was, that's, that's a short range area right there, mm-hmm. um, which not everybody used short range like they probably should have, but it was, I mean, there was a elk and deer everywhere because it's private property. Nobody's messing with them. And, and we'd see them day to day just out working all the time, you know. I think the first deer I killed up there was, he was, he was laying down. He, I, I was driving the truck through the pasture. It was opening day of deer season and I didn't see anything all day. I'm driving back at the end of the day and sure enough, there he was a pretty good sized buck just laying there right by the little creek. It's called Mud Creek runs through there. Okay. I know where you're at. <clears throat> and I got out of the truck, put the rifle over the hood and it was so easy. Another time I was very spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you could get a little more challenging up there, and we would go to public property sometimes to hunt because I think I think the challenge makes it more fulfilling. I really do, and I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, uh, we'd go over to like Gold Fork mm-hmm. and stuff like that and hunt over there. But yeah, um, I don't even know why I got on that story. Well, I think that's the point I'm trying to make is I, you know, private property is great, mm-hmm. um, but I, for me personally. You know, just what you're saying, the challenge, mm-hmm. you know, just like packing in and putting a camp on your back. It's the challenge. It's not the harvest. Mm-hmm. So the harvest is great. You know, obviously that's the ultimate goal is to end up being successful, but all the experience that you get through that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've never been blessed enough to hunt private property. So I, I you know, I can only speak for what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I've hunted around a lot of private property mm-hmm. and obviously that, you know, that kind of, I don't know if that validates my point or not, but, um, you know, for me, I just, I always feel like you have to earn it. I always feel like you should, you know, and I don't care, you know, like you killing the buck, I, you know, good for you. That's mm-hmm. awesome. You know, I, I would never, ever have a bad word about it, but personally, just for me. So, you know, you see, you brought up Cameron Haynes and, mm-hmm. and all those guys, and I'm a huge fan. I've met him. I've ran with him. We do the, uh, uh, the five K challenge that they do down in Salt Lake and run with him. And my wife is obsessed with him. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's and a I'll, cool dude. <laughs> oh yeah. Super, super cool guy. And trust me, the dude is legit. I mean, he's, I've, I've known a few people that have met him and yeah. they've said that. Yeah. He's, he's a super straightforward guy, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. He's not going to BS you. He's not going to play the, you know, the, I guess, Oh God, what, what would be the best term for it? not play the, not politics, but you know, mm-hmm. he's, He's an entertainer, you know, part of him. He's also, yeah. you know, he's a, uh, he's somebody that's always in the limelight. So he's got to be careful. Yeah. He doesn't play that. He's, well, he's I think pretty straightforward. He was, know? he was kind of a celebrity in the hunting world for years. That's what was the word. But was with the rise of Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. he's become a celebrity just yeah. all around. I mean, 
Yeah. People, people who've never hunted know who he is because so many people listen to that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He's, do you know who he is? Yeah. 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 But, you know, he, people will see his Instagram and everything that he posts. Well, those are all private ranches. Mm-hmm. And he has a good point. You know, his point is, is I want to, I want to hunt an animal like me that hasn't been molested, hasn't been called to or bugled over or hunted. I want an animal that's in its natural state that is doing its thing. And now I get to be a part of it. So I totally get what it, but you, you know, if you put Cameron Haynes anywhere in the world, he'd be successful. Mm -hmm. He's not, it's not a matter of whether he's going to be successful or not. But to me, the harvest is awesome. It's just the whole experience that goes into it. And I, for me, I'm just a dumb grunt. So I just want to work. You know, I, I get firewood and, you know, that's how I heat my house because I enjoy the process of getting firewood. I hunt because I enjoy the process of hunting. Um, so for me, you know, looking at those guys, those are phenomenal stories and I'm big fans of those guys, Mm -hmm. but I like, uh, there's actually a ton of people just in the Valley that do a phenomenal job, but, uh, like, uh, have you guys ever heard of pure elevation? Mm -mm. So they're a local company. They came out. Um, quite a few years ago and started putting hunting films together, but it's all about, you know, capturing their experience of packing in seven, eight miles, putting the camp on your back. So when I watch Cameron Haynes and see the success that he has, that's great. Um, but for me, it's more about the grind and he grinds other ways. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go run a marathon every day <laughs> weekend, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to dedicate the time that he does to fitness and stuff like that. So he grinds in a different way. For me, my grind because of my lifestyle is to grind on the mountain mm-hmm. and you know pound you know pound as many miles as I can and cover as many miles as I can. There's really there's actually talking about grind. There's actually a really cool uh, thing that the guys from Pure Elevation do. They do what's called a death hike. You guys ever hear that? <laughs> so it's it's kind of like a little click here in the valley of hunters and. Uh, you can, the only way you can go on it is you have to be invited. So it's not something you can just sign up for. I think they originally had let people just sign up for it. But, uh, this last one they did, it was a hundred miles and they did it in three days. Damn. And this is through, I believe they went from, boy, where did they go? They went from Stanley to Ketchum. Oh, dude. And they did it in three days. Wow. <laughs> and it's, I mean, you're, uh, my buddy did it. He's a lights out hunter. He's a stud and he did it. And, uh, I think he said he recorded over 22,000 gain and over 22,000 drop over that hundred miles, 22,000 feet of gain drop, which is crazy to think that about. That is crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, I mean, that's what's Mount, what's Mount St. Everest? The 29, eight. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically, you know. You're, you're touching on that kind of climbing over a three day period. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it was crazy to think about, but here just in the Valley, just talking about the hunting community, uh, you have pure elevation and they produce, uh, one of the uh, guys who helped start that up produces a hunting pack called XO packs bar none top, you know, top, top of the hunting industry, mm-hmm. phenomenal packs. You can literally put your whole camp on your back and pack out your meat at the same time. So these, you know, that's pretty cool. There's, uh, another one here in the Valley called Black's Creek. They, I know, know that one. Yep. Yeah. So they do that. You got Everly stock here in the Valley. Mm-hmm. 
obviously has a huge name in the hunting industry. You have Initial Ascent, um, which is out of Middleton where I live. Uh, he just started up his company a couple years ago. They're doing big things. You got Corey Jacobson, who is the, I don't know how many time world, uh, uh, bugling champion. Uh, so he does, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation bugling contests. I think he's won it like 11 or 12 times. That you guys ever heard of Primo's? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Primo's calls? Yeah. yeah. So Corey's dad, Rocky, actually developed all of those calls. Let me, let me say that right. He didn't develop all those calls. He developed the patent on that read. Mm-hmm. What happened was uh, the guy, Will Primos, came to Rocky and said, hey, I want to buy your patent. I want to make that, and I want to have a business built on that. So Rocky had sold him the patent and allowed him to use it for how many ever years, and Primos blew up. Everybody mm-hmm. heard of Primos. Well, the guy they actually started is out of Kamiai, Idaho, or Orofino, Kamiai or, or Orofino. So all of that started there. And now his son, uh, uh, Corey, is like an 11 or 12 time, you know, world champion caller, has his own podcast, has his own film, all that, all, all that stuff's called Elk 101. But just here in, in Idaho within, you know, basically 200 miles, you know, 200 miles north and, or, or 100 miles south and 100 miles north of here, you have a huge community of, of, hunters and a huge wealth of knowledge and mm-hmm. guys that kill it in the industry big time kill it yeah i know like you were saying <clears throat> it's not all about the harvest for you it's about getting out there i remember kevin saying i think on a previous episode we were just talking about getting out in nature and you said something about just get the grass between your toes you know it's good for you yeah, yeah. and it's for me it's the half of that is the preparation i like i don't want to just be like Hey, let's just jump in the truck and go uh, walk a camel's back. Like, there's got to be something to prepare. There's got to be some mission prep, right? Like, okay, what do we need? You know, how much do we need? How many people are going? You know, I like that. Even just going out to Parma, like, I make sure all my ammo is in his cans. So every time I go out there, what am I going to use today? What am I getting ready? What am I, what am I taking with me? That prep is awesome. And then that's half of it. And then getting out there and using that. Like, how well did I prep today? Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to get far enough in this mountain? Am I going to run out of water? Am I run out of food? Like, um, you can just trial by error. Like, sometimes you got to go through this suck to figure out what you did wrong. You know, like, well, next time it won't suck as bad. It'll suck a little bit, you know. Um, but then, yeah, I like the whole experience, like you were saying, the prep. Then getting your kids involved. Like, now you get to be a mentor to somebody else. How do you prep? And by teaching them how to prep, your brain sees it a different way and then now it's more efficient just by teaching somebody. Um, so yeah, I think the whole experience, like you were saying is that's, that's pretty much right on right there. Yeah. Like it is more than just, you know, getting your harvest. It's, it's everything, man. It's yeah. It's spiritual in itself. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Do you ever, have you ever taken somebody who's never hunted at all? Mm-hmm. Have you ever taken them kind of showing them the ropes to it? Yeah. Well, other than your pro- children. Well, Probably the best story is my wife, just because I know most about her and, you know, but, uh, she grew up in Weezer and it was always, she's always been an athlete and always been active and she's a definite A type personality. Mm-hmm. If she wants to do something, she's going to get it done and figure out a way to do it, which is probably why I like her so much, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> she didn't grow up in it. And just being around me, you know, she didn't really have a choice. Either you, either you go with me or you won't see me. 
because I'm I'm going. That's not gonna you know I'll I'll forfeit some things in my life you know for the benefit of the family, but that's that's one thing that I'm never gonna change about me. So she goes with me. We're you know we get out there and uh, she had never fired a gun. She had never shot a bow. Any of that stuff. So yeah, just going through the process of one getting her a bow. You know, going to the uh, local archery shop, getting her set up, getting her arrows. We build our own arrows. So doing that and just getting her and started in that whole process has been pretty neat. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the coolest stories, obviously, my son calling in the bull elk was obviously a pretty cool story. The very first time my wife went uh, hunting with me for archery, so she had gone through hunters. She went through it at hunter's education, I think, at like twenty. 25- four or 23 years old. So she's obviously the, the oldest person in the class at that time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she goes through hunter's head, gets that stuff all, all taken care of, shoots all summer with me, um, uh, shoots her bow all summer with me, gets ready and she can shoot. She can just flat shoot. But, uh, we, we get the first setup. We think there's probably elk below us. And, uh, fortunately there was, very first setup, I call in uh, a small herd of elk, and uh, she wasn't comfortable, so she didn't take a shot. But she ended up being about thirty yards away from a group of cows, and at that point, with archery in in the unit we were at, she could shoot a, a cow or a bull, so that wasn't uh, that wasn't a limiting factor for her. She 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 decided it's not a good shot for her, so she passes. We we hike up. We. Uh, we go over the next ridge, come up onto this little bench area, and we had set up trail cams in these areas uh, all spring, and or not spring, but all summer, and we knew there was elk that would travel through here during these times, so you can record them, which is, again, part of the experience, right? You go in there, it's not just hunting, it's setting up trail cams and mm-hmm. doing all that stuff, but you go in there, we know that there's elk in the area, and they've been traveling in this area uh, basically late morning. So we get into there and make a few, few calls. Sure enough, we have the elk respond. They're starting to move up towards us. We get into position and, uh, I'm, I'm back behind her probably 80 yards at this point undercover. I'm covered up so nobody can see me. And she's set up right next to the trail and I, I've got my binoculars on her and calling my mouth and I'm doing my thing and I'm watching her. And sure enough, that lead cow walks right up that trail and actually walks into her and touches her. <laughs> so she's, I mean, she's shaking like a leaf, you know, she's doing the whole, you know, can't hold still shaking big time. And, uh, unfortunately she didn't get an elk. Uh, she was able to get a shot off at, uh, the small bull that was there, but that's the kind of stuff, you know, like you're talking about somebody coming in new, the very first experience ever really hunting, mm-hmm. especially big game animals. She gets literally nose to nose with a cow that touches her. I mean, that, that, I could, that could go one of two ways with someone. Oh, they're yeah. not going to want to go back it, or they're going to fall in yeah. love. You know, and she's, I probably shouldn't say this, but, uh, she's a pretty passionate person about things. Mm-hmm. And she's incredibly, incredibly, uh, uh, <laughs> she wants to win at all costs. Let's just say that. So she, you know, she wanted to be successful and she's very determined to be successful. And the fact that she wasn't successful almost crushed her. Mm-hmm. You know, she was ups- physically upset. You know, she was crying, felt like she should have made, you know, a good shot and all that. And to me, I'm looking at it with, at that point, you know, how many years of experience and, 
you know, getting to see a lot of stuff. And I've never had an elk that close to me, especially touch me. Mm-hmm. So I'm more excited about the elk touching her than her, you know, worrying about missing a shot. And she, you know, she's crying. So I have to console her and we, you know, we finally get through it. But just that whole first season of her getting to experience, uh, you know, me calling in big mature bulls that are raking and doing that whole, you know, doing the whole thing in front of her, watching her, you know, put down mile after mile. And, you know, she's a competitive person. So she, you know, she wants to hunt a certain way, even though she doesn't know anything, you know, really on, on, you know, where should we go and where should we be at a certain time? She's telling me you hike too fast. We're going, you know, there we're, you know, we're not doing what we should be doing. We, she wants me to slow down. So, you know, just seeing her full like picture of what hunting is to her and her desire. And I think that, you know, I think she probably missed pieces of what, what hunting is about to me in that first year because she was so dead set on she had to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she's, you know, now it's not that way for her anymore. But I think she had prepared herself and she's so competitive that she gets out there and there's these opportunities and it's hard. And, uh, and you know, it didn't come together for her. So, you know, she's had to learn that patience of a hunter. She's had to learn that, you know, every single time that you go out, you're not going to get into animals. You're not going to see, you know, a bull that's screaming in your face. You're not going to have an opportunity. And that, you know, probably 95% of the time that you're out in the, in the mountain, you're not going to get those opportunities. You may see animals and stuff like that. But just talking about somebody coming into it with no experience, learning and seeing things for the very first time, and somebody that's extremely competitive. She's a, uh, she uh, is now a nurse practitioner, has been for the last six or seven, I think seven years this year. And, uh, so she's a driven person. She, you know, she likes to be successful and no matter what it is, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And just watching her have to learn that there's something bigger than all of us out there that, you know, they, I think the stats say that, uh, especially archery, I think only 10% of archers actually harvest an animal. Um, and they say that 90% of the archers that harvest that 10% are the ones who consistently do it. So I've been blessed and have figured out my own techniques of how to be successful. Um, but she hadn't yet. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, for me, watching her see all of those things and experience all those things for the very first time and not really, she didn't take it all in initially she was just overwhelmed with the idea that I have to be successful and I have to come out here and, and, you know, I have to harvest an animal and it didn't happen. So, you know, it's taken a while, but she's really learned to enjoy the experience and she's been able to harvest animals since then. She's helped pack out animals since then. She's camped with me, you know, slept on the ground, all that good stuff. So she's really, you know, watching her going from nothing to something where she's at right now has been pretty cool. That, that's cool that she's so into it with you. Because mm-hmm. I, I know guys that are big hunters. Their wives have never been. They don't care to go. It doesn't make it easier. I'll promise you that. Yeah. Well, you know, like <laughs> back when I used when I used to hunt a lot, my wife went with me, and she had never hunted ever. Yeah. And her brother, which you know, her brother, mm-hmm. uh, he's he's been hunting and has been for a long time. Oh, but, okay. So Benito's 
the brother-in-law. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I married his sister. Not blood related. I was trying to figure that out. Yeah. Like, How are you Mexican? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I married. I married his sister. <clears throat> Me and him grew up together. Yeah. And somehow things happened, and I ended up marrying his sister, which he was not a fan of in the beginning. But anyways, uh, she you know he's a good guy. He is a very good guy. Yeah. Even though I don't even think he's ever listened to an episode of this. No, he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to get him on because he's a funny dude. He is. He's always been. He's one of those guys that everybody likes. Yeah. Right away. Yeah. I've I've worked with him at multiple places. We've had I think three or four jobs where we worked at the same place together. And I always ask him like because the bosses love him always, and I'm like, why do they like you so much? I'm like, I I'm a hard worker. I work my ass off, but they don't like me like they like you. Yeah. And one time he says, Jake. You don't have to suck all the dicks. You just got to <laughs> suck the right ones. I was like, oh, you asshole. But anyway, so <laughs> I digress. Uh, his sister, my wife, she she had never hunted. She, she'd been outdoors and stuff like that. But it was actually me and Benito. My, I think my, my folks went. We went hunting. And my wife came along. And she, she, was, she didn't have a gun with her. She wasn't hunting. She just came with us. And she enjoyed the experience. She really did. And we were out there for, I think, three days. And it was an unsuccessful hunt. Nobody got anything, but just the experience of being there and seeing how the whole thing works was really cool for her. And she, as far as I know, she enjoyed it. Yeah. She hasn't been back since, but I, I haven't hunted in years. My job that I work now, our busy time of year is right when hunting season starting to kick off. And it's a whole thing. I, I do want to get back into it, though. It's something I've been thinking. And I think a lot of people are thinking more about that lately with what's going on in the world and being able to sustain yourself and that's take care of your family and provide food. Yeah. I know I've what's going on in the world right now has made me consider that more. I mean, you have people at the grocery store fighting over toilet paper, like Kevin talked about in our last, last episode. And I, I remember right in the beginning of all this shit, you go to the store and all the ground beef's gone. I mean, everything's gone. You know, if I had a freezer full of deer or elk in my house, I wouldn't have even cared, you know? And so I've, I've really considered getting back into it. It's, expensive hobby i know that and it takes a lot of time as well well i think through all this stuff that we've gone through if you haven't become more self-sufficient you're missing the boat big time for sure yeah. for sure and there, there's going to be people who don't learn a thing and that's just humans i think yeah. human, human error but um I, I think me personally i've become more prepared over the past few years not just because of what's going on now just getting older and and living life, I've, be, I've tried to become more prepared. I mean, that's Kevin's taught me with his military background and stuff. He's always. I was going to ask you, you didn't bring it up, but obviously just talking and, you know, the things that you brought up. Ex military then? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He's, he's taught me, especially when it comes to like. Because, like I said, I grew up around hunting, I grew up around guns and stuff. And I know how to safely handle a gun. But Kevin has taught me so much more about being a responsible firearms owner and handling a firearm, stuff like that. Like I, I've gone out to the range with him and I mean, he knows his shit. He was a, you were a sniper. I mean, go ahead and talk about that. Like, I mean, you didn't grow up around a ton of guns, but you, you're into it now. Yeah. No, I was like a lot of guys who, there was like a statistic, um, when you go like through sniper school, right. About the, uh, best marksmen are city kids, and the best stalkers are kids who grew up hunting. Um, the reason that is because kids who grew up hunting already have a sense of know what they're doing, so they're less teachable. 
the kid who grew up in the city is teachable. She's like, I don't know shit about guns, right? That's like, that's why the statistic is that way. But the kids that grew up around not in the city are more comfortable climbing through fucking mud and just getting dirty. I don't give a fuck. Um, and I didn't really do a lot of either, but I was still actually among the very best at both. And I um, probably had the best stock experience when I passed my stocking exam, test, whatever. Because I didn't give a fuck about any of it. I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to be the best no matter what. So I will get in a shitty position and take a shitty shot and make it work. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, that's all that is, is not letting your ego get in the way. Who am I? It doesn't fucking matter who you are. But there is a right way and a wrong way to do something, you know. And then thinking you hit that prep again. Like, if, do I have a home invader? Do I want a shotgun or a pistol? If I'm fucking tired and groggy and I'm four hours into sleep... And I'm startled awake. It might be easier to just put a shotgun down the hallway and squeeze that fucker trigger. You're right. We've talked a, exactly. We've talked a lot about that recently because with current times, I mean, you have people out of work. You have people getting desperate, and the threats of just breaking the yeah. And people when I people get, I don't think we've even seen the tip of the arrow yet. I no. I don't either. I I mm-hmm. really hope that we're wrong. But when people get broke, they get desperate. And desperate people can do some pretty desperate things. And that's one thing I take very seriously is the security of my house. And I mean, when we first moved into our house, I bought outdoor cameras. I, I like to, I like to know my family is secure. And that's one thing I've talked with Kevin a lot about because of his background. And I mean, I, I told my son one day we were riding in the truck with Kevin and I'm, and he's like, is that a gun up there? Kevin's always got one on him, you know? And I said, oh, yeah. I said, when you're with Kevin, feel safe because nothing's going to happen to us. He, he's going to make sure you're all right. And he's, he's always prepared like he was just talking about. And we've talked quite a bit about home security and stuff like that. And he's, he's my go-to guy now yeah. for sure. I mean, he, he knows his shit when it comes to that. That's an area that I'd like to explore more. Um, I mean, obviously, the hunting background is one thing, but... Mm-hmm. That's a different. That's a whole different, you know, skill set for sure. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not just pick up your rifle or when, like you said. You know, just the thought of thinking. Okay, do I? What would I be best prepared with? Is it a shotgun? Is it a pistol? Here's the scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, most I would say ninety nine percent of the people you know that are out in the world never ever think about that. That's yeah. not something that crosses your mind. Well, and, they're, and if they're not training. The time between the instance of interaction and responding is too fucking long. Most people are just like, no, I got a gun. I'll make this happen. Like, not when you're tired, you're just waking up. Not when it's actually happening. There's cortisol running through you. Your blood pressure has gone up. And now you're being indecisive. Should I grab this gun? Should I grab the pistol? Wait, what about, why do you have a bat? What if they don't have a weapon? Maybe let's use the bat. It's like, no, you need to practice this or having your mind dead set. Like, something happens, this is exactly what I'm going to do. Right, I've got the fucking shotgun in my hand before I even know what's going on because now I'm reacting because I've practiced and someone's going down. Right, you don't throw a weapon or not, so at least you can engage this person, you know, confrontationally. But if you know they do, like I said, if you just fucking point it down a hallway, someone's going to get hit. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's if if you have minimal training. Somebody who's well trained can just grab a pistol out of nowhere and hit something in the fucking dark. Usually, that's what I was going to say. You have people say, oh, they tell you the old story. If someone broke into my yeah. house, this is what I do. 
most people are not prepared for that. And I had an instance at my old house where I realized how unprepared I was. Because I've always told myself that same story if someone comes to my house. Sure. First of all, I'm a really hard sleeper. I am... <laughs> I'm hard to wake up. My wife gives me shit about it. She's like, what are you going to do if someone breaks in? You ain't going to fucking hear it. Like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we, it was like midnight and we were at our old place. It was a nice neighborhood, safe neighborhood. We were, the kids were in bed. Me and my wife were getting ready to go to bed about midnight. And all of a sudden there is this pounding on my front door. It sounded like police or something. But my first thought was, oh shit, someone's trying to get in my house. I froze. And I, have always told myself if someone came in my house, I'd take care of them. I froze and I froze for maybe 10 seconds, but still that's enough time to get hurt. Something like that. After that 10 seconds, I got my bearings like, Oh shit. So I get in my room. I throw on my sweatpants. It happens again. And we have a big dog, German shepherd mix. He's sound mean and he's barking. So whoever, did it add nuts to hit the door again. That second go around, I didn't freeze. I grabbed a baseball bat and out the front door I went. Nobody's out there. I think it was kids messing around. Uh, in hindsight, it was probably nothing. But the fact that I froze for that little amount of time, I felt like the biggest bitch. And I realized, like, man, I'm not prepared for, for if something would have happened right there. And so since then, I think I've taken taking it more serious. Um, and someone like Kevin, who is comfortable with violence, he's not going to freeze in that situation. And that's why I've turned to him for a lot of advice because he knows what he's doing when it comes to being under pressure and performing under that pressure. And it's something he's really helped me out with. And, and I feel like I'm talking too damn much. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's a, one of the big reasons I started doing jujitsu too, yeah. is to be comfortable under pressure. And I, I, I've realized in my day-to-day life, I don't get freaked out by much because I've become more comfortable with violence. I think being comfortable with violence is a good thing for, for anybody, whether whether it's gun training or hand-to-hand training. I feel even just two years of jujitsu, I feel so confident if somebody wanted to harm me, I can take care of myself before I thought I could. And I realized I was not as tough as I thought it was. We're all tough guys, right? Yeah. We all we all think we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Until you're in, until you have humbling experiences. Yeah, and that was a little experience. Everybody's but... legs shake at some point. Yeah, you know, um, my legs shake when I hunt elk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that's this thing is is that's what it came down to when that whole just a knock on my door. The reason I froze, I was scared. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big, strong guy, and I've always thought I was so tough. And that little moment right there made me realize like I'm not as tough as I thought I was. Well, you never ran that play before, you know, right. so no. you don't know, no. you know, no, that's, you know, just talking about this. I always, I, uh, I like comedy. So uh, I think it's Jim Jeffries mm-hmm. has a bit on this, on how, you know, especially as Americans, you know, we're tough guys, right? We're going to handle the shit when it comes in. He's talking about an experience that he had and his comedy bit kind of goes to the effect that, you know, it's like, you know, the, the guy breaks into the house you run over to your safe, you got to unlock your safe, pull your damn gun out, and now you can defend yourself. And it's a whole bit of, you know, on that. You know, for me, I'm a hunter, and you know, I'm in the same boat. And if somebody broke in my house, you know, of course, I'm going to do, in my mind, I'm mm-hmm. going to do what it takes to protect my family. But my safe with all my guns is in my garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Right. I'm full of shit. Yeah. I'm not going to protect anybody. The only thing that could happen is either I'm going to get my ass kicked and you know nothing good's going to happen from there, or I'm going to figure out a way to you know take this person out and, and deal with them. But really, I'm not prepared. You know. Yeah, we we all think we are, and then there are people like Kevin here who probably is. Yeah, yeah don't break majority, into his house. Yeah, the majority of it's <laughs> mental, like, and that's the whole idea that. That's one of the ideas of breaking down the ego and building someone back up in the military is part of that process is teaching someone to react, not respond. And that reaction is pure hatred, essentially. They always put you under stress in those situations so that you act with fucking hatred. That way you don't, you don't have that. It still happens. It happened to me. That intimate moment, like that empathy, like, oh, now you're immediately in that person's shoes. Like you're the one getting shot. Still happened to me. It was very intimate, but I still do it. Still, I mean, sorry, I don't do it. I did it, you know. And so, but it's because that reaction of pure hatred. Someone's putting violence or threatening you, or you feel frightened, so you react with aggression. And then, what's not good is when you do that when you're out. You know what I mean? Like someone yells at you to say hello, and you react with like motherfucker. Like you know, you react aggressively towards somebody. It's because you've been trained to do that. Yeah. And so now you have to try to turn it off. And understand when it's appropriate to have that be a good thing. You know, the Native Americans used it. And then when they had those issues after battles or hunting, whatever, they did ayahuasca. They did, you know, uh, smoke marijuana or whatever because they were, knew how to bring themselves back down. We don't know that in America. It's like, oh, no, take SSRIs. Just have some fucking whiskey, you know, whatever. But they had a process for balancing everything out. You know, treating the mind and being a savage at the same time um, that we have to kind of figure out again. Because yeah. it is helpful to be a savage sometimes, to be racked that way, because it still keep your, your family alive, especially, like we said, with things that are happening right now. And what's unfortunate, and this, I know the statement is kind of overplayed, but, you know, if a liberal gets elected, then Republicans are like, all right, well, let's see what you can do. Except for, like, some of the 18-year-olds, you know, the real rednecks. Yeah, they'll, whatever, fuck them. But, but if there's someone on the right, Trump gets elected, then all of a sudden everybody on the left wants to fucking start a war, you know, and start rioting, you know. And then that only justifies people's statements about values. Values are all on the right, not the left. The left is full of people with fucking mental conditions who are tra- attaching themselves to politics to find meaning in life because they can't find it themselves because they're all fucked up. I, I think and that's kind of overgeneralizing. That is overgeneralizing. That's what I'm saying is we don't want to prove that right. Yeah. And I hope, you know, if Trump gets elected, that doesn't happen. But you yeah. have to still prepare for... And we're fortunate to live in the Valley where everything's always been... They almost like, you know, no one really pays attention to all that shit like in some of the bigger cities. Yeah. But now with the population growing and a whole lot of those... Kind of people moving here, I, I don't know what's going to happen. How would Boise be in 2020 now with the huge population growth? Could it get wild here too? And I don't want that. I don't want that for my kids because kids were adults. We're more desensitized. Imagine a kid seeing this on TV or something and being like feared for their life. Mm-hmm. And, I worry about that with on both sides of the, the coin there when the things you see on TV or the internet – it's the extreme of both sides is what you're seeing. And like my older son, he's become to the point he really likes to watch the news. And the news now is not the news it was even when we were kids. 
or no. when our parents were kids. It's a reality TV show. Yeah. It it is, and 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 I mean, like I said, the generalization thing. I know people on both sides of the spectrum. I know some really liberal people. I know some really conservative people who are just good people in general, and they they're not looking for violence. They're not looking for all this. But then I think on both sides, I mean, you got people who are going to react the wrong way. Um, it's, I don't know, it's a whole crazy world right now that everybody's trying to navigate through, you know? What I don't want to see, what I hope we don't ever see, is guys like you and I, who I think are the normal, you know, we got families, we have careers, we, you know, we, we prioritize those things over everything else. And for the most part, and I don't know what your political affiliation is, but I think generally a conservative male kind of just keeps himself. I mean, if you ask me what my opinion is on certain things, of course I'm going to have an opinion. It's just mm-hmm. the way I am. But for the most part, we kind of just hunker down, take care of our family, take care of our responsibilities, prioritize those things. I don't want, I don't want to see America get to a place where guys like myself and I'm going to, group you guys into that i don't want to see where we're put in a position where we have to do something because one i don't know how i would react i have an idea on how i would react i believe that i would defend my family and, and every with everything i've got and i probably would but i don't ever want to be put in that position where i feel like i have to do that my buddy he's an armor army ranger and he said uh, put one round in the stomach it'll take two to pack them off <laughs> that was his response mm-hmm. You're talking about being desensitized to, you know, know, having a different skill set. But, you know, for the most part, and again, I know you guys don't want to talk politics, but at some point, conservatives are going to have to have a bigger voice. And that's, that's my only opinion on it, because I think for a long time, the left has had a great voice and they've made, you know, made huge strides on the things that they want, which is fine. But at some point, conservative, especially men, are going to have to step up and, and have a voice on what we believe in the things that, that we want to see in this country that we hold true, you know, whatever it is, whether it's the Pledge of Allegiance or gun rights or any of that stuff. At some point, we're going to have to have a bigger voice or otherwise we, you know, it, history will repeat itself at some point. Otherwise, we're going to be put in a position where it's no longer words. Yeah. Now, now we're in a position where we're going to actually have to physically make change in this country, and that's not going to be good for anybody. Well, it's like it's not that even we don't want to be political because we've talked about it multiple times. It's yeah. almost impossible to avoid talking politics, and I think as you get older, politics become more part of your life. Yeah, but it's the when when I say I don't want to be political, it's just I don't want things to be. That's all you talk about. I, I mentioned that on the last episode that when a person's personality, it's all politics. Yeah. Then they have nothing else going on. Yeah. There's more to life than politics. Yes, politics are your values and things like that, and that's important. But <clears throat> I think there are there's more to a person than than their political value or the politician that they like. Yeah. Because now politicians have become like celebrities too, and. That's another reason we wanted to start this podcast was to get different people with different points of views. I mean, our last episode, he was liberal, but he's also in the military. He's a good dude from what I understood. Mm-hmm. And I think people on both sides can be friends and they can come together and they can work together. I think what we're all seeing on the news and 
social media. That's the extreme. Like I was saying, I, I know I don't consider myself Republican or Democrat, but I can get along with people on both sides. And I can kind of see why they believe the things they believe, even if I don't agree. Yeah. It's, I think I, that's where you have to be. I, I think, I think it's where people should. It's, I think that's a healthy mindset to be open to other ideas. And even if you don't end up agreeing with them at the end, you can at least see, okay, that's why that person's coming from that point yeah. of view. You know what I mean? In my previous career, um, I worked one-on-one with people um, all day, every day. And I'd have them for one hour at a time. And, you know, you talk about everything. I was a trainer for a long time and, and had my own business for a long time. And uh, so you, you're training these people. And generally it's, you know, you get it. You know, well, I shouldn't say generally. You get everything. I mean, you get the professional, you get the housewife, you get athletes, you get all these people from different walks of life, and you get to know everything, you know, about what's going on with them and things that they are doing, what's important to them, and you get all these different perspectives. And being a a trainer and trying to be professional, you know, you just kind of listen and nod your head and don't really provide a lot of feedback when it comes to that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I think – and I don't know. There's probably an argument for both sides of that where – you want to be amicable to everybody and, you know, give them the right to speak their mind and have their opinion. There's probably an argument on the other side that says, you know what, if you believe in it at some point, you're going to have to stand up for it. So yeah, be genuine. You yeah. Know. Yeah. I, I found that training too. Like I would say 60% of people were always rubbed off wrong by me or maybe intimidated or just, Oh, they, they just disagreed about everything. So they were so disagreeable. And the other 40%, fucking, no matter what I did after getting to know me, were like, no, fucking Kevin all the way. Like, if Kevin leaves the gym, we're fucking going too, you know? Because I was hard on everybody, but they understood, like, I need fundamentals first, right? If someone wants to be competitive, like you kind of talked about earlier with hunting, all they see is, I want to be competitive, or I want to get my first muscle up, right? And after they're like, this isn't working, you're like, okay, let's do this my way now. You're going to learn the fucking fundamentals first. You're going to move well. You're going to fix your diet, fix your sleep, and we're going to build you up and make you good. Yeah. And the ones that listened and became humble, that's exactly what they got. You know, PR snatches, fucking high, high numbers on their lips. He, he, was a, he owned a gym as well, so he was a trainer as well. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you're not going to fit for everybody, but the people that truly listen, and you're trying, you have great intent, they're going to get it. And it's like, and that's, I think that's a, a good bell curve for just anything you're doing. Or if you're teaching people to shoot, you're teaching people about politics. There's certain people, no matter what you say, it's like, nope, fuck you. I'm right. You're wrong. And there's certain people you can sway, not sway them because you're trying to sway them to just your opinion, but sway them to think critically, you know, like, Hey, how about instead of watching the news, you pretend politicians don't exist and you go to, there's a ton of them, like Senate.gov, you know, Congress.gov. Look at the fucking bills that are being pushed. Now say the bills from the left, you take, just say, let's just take 10 of them and 10 on the right. <coughs> they're being pushed. And you look at these objectively. How will, so not just how they benefit you, how will the kidneys benefit my community? Bring on every single one of them. How, write it down. How will they benefit my community? That's an answer for 20 of these now, 10 on each side. And you're going to find five you like on the left, five you like on the right. And like, okay, so how can I vote now? If I was going to vote, vote based on just on this, what's going to benefit us the most? Yeah. Or how about, hey, let's just stop doing left and right and let the people vote for what they want. 
if vote for the, the the five on the left, five on the right, boom, now we have good politics going on. Instead of thinking emotionally. I don't like Trump, he's a fucking asshole, so I'm definitely voting on the left. If you're thinking emotionally, that's what they want. Right. And the Greek philosophers 2,000 years ago said that that was an inappropriate, disgusting way to think about politics. And we're still doing it because we're fucking idiots. We're just watching Netflix all day, not paying attention, not bettering ourselves. But if they were saying it back then and had a good fucking point, you should probably be practicing that philosophy. You know, don't think emotionally. Look at what they're putting. Look at the bills they're putting down. And that's how you're going to benefit society. And if all those bills suck, (coughs) then they work for us. Like, hey, fuckers, these all suck. Rewrite them. Redo it. You know, but they have too much power. How do you get there? Yeah. You can't overthrow a government that has power that says it's democratic. Now, we're democratic, man, but... Well, I think the best thing to do... The way I... So, the last presidential election, I didn't vote. I could not bring myself to do it. I was not a fan of either person. And this go-around, I am going to vote. I've decided I'm going to, and like you were saying, you know, someone who goes all one party, that's just not me. And so, what I've and I voted in the last local election as well, and I vote on both sides because I, I have beliefs and values that lie on both sides. And what I've been doing with this upcoming one is I've been – some people, I know who they are. I know what they stand for. But there's a lot of them, local stuff. I have no idea what they stand for. I don't care if it has an R or a D next to their name. That doesn't mean you know what they stand for. So I've been looking online at each individual one before I decided to make a choice because – as I'm getting older, I realize it is more important to to vote for what you believe in. That's how you change. That's how you change the country is by voting. That's why it's there, and I think it's an important thing. And I wish I would have voted in the last election. I really do because I think everybody has the right to try and get an office who fits their values. But like I was saying, just because someone's values are different than yours doesn't make a bad person. Yeah. No. We'll talk about like a local level, just dealing with all this stuff. Um, so now you've got, uh, kids are going back to school full time and what just happened? All mm-hmm. the teachers just basically went on strike. Oh yeah. My, those little motherfuckers. My, my, my like, son, my son's missing school so, tomorrow because so, of this. So I'm, I'm in the middle. Mm-hmm. I've got some really good friends that are teachers and principals actually mm-hmm. really good friends. And their grievance is that, uh, I've got one. One, uh, I've got, I won't mention the districts, but, uh, I've got, uh, children, two different districts, mm-hmm. two different school districts, and both are being affected by, by everything that's happened. And the conversations I had with the teachers, uh, is that the school board didn't, didn't ask for their input in all of this. They, they had a rep, you know, they're a part of a union. They had a representative, everything like that, but they didn't really, they didn't bring in the input of the teachers. So the teachers feel like, well, fuck you. Mm-hmm. You don't yeah. even want to figure out what, you know, what we think is going to work best. Cause I think generally teachers understand, yes, we, we need to get back to school. Cause uh, the conversations I've had with the teachers specifically is that this is hard. This is a lot more work. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is way more difficult to teach. You know, the, the whole process is not great. Um, and I think that they want to get back to a norm as well, but I think they feel slighted because they weren't a part of that process and they, and nobody came to them. And then obviously the parent side, which most of these teachers are parents. Mm-hmm. So on the parent side of things, you know, now 
now we, from my perspective, now I see teachers are doing this strike and I mean, I don't know how everybody feels about it, but I'm not a union guy at all. Mm -hmm. Just not. I think you should represent yourself. I think you should, you should be able to make your own decisions. I don't think that a conglomerate, kind of like what you were talking about with choosing, you know, Republican or Democrat and just being, you know, grouped that way. But I'm not a huge fan of, of unions because they don't necessarily represent me. And I've been in industries that have unions. So now you have all these teachers that are part of a union. Well, the union decides, well, we don't like it. So now fuck the kids. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the issue. Not the, not the parents, not the teachers, the kids. The only person that's going to suffer through all of this and, and, you know, I've got four kids actually in school. I don't know how old your kids are, mm-hmm. but I've got four kids that are actually in school. Well, shit, we were out of school. What? In March. March what was it? March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my kids have been out of school since you know March and then they finally get back into school and now we're going through this shit again. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all the teachers are saying, well, Reading scores aren't the where they should be. The math scores aren't where they should. Be. Well, no shit. Mm-hmm. Especially, well, especially the little ones. Then take yeah. I, I've got a second grade and a third mm-hmm. grade, and it's like, well, no shit. You know, mm-hmm. and I work full time. My wife works full time. I'm not a teacher. I don't have the fucking patience for it. I can promise you that. Mm-hmm. And and you know, so I understand both sides of it. But at the end of the day, this is about the kids. This is not. Otherwise, stop funding public schools. And, and allow me to take my tax dollars that I'm applying towards public school and I'll go with my kid in a private school because the yep. private schools are not doing this. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, it's like a fundamental lack of leadership. It's like, cool, you're supposed to be mentors and now you look weak. At the same time, they, like you said, they didn't practice the Delphi system, the ground up. The teachers should have been the ones pushing information up, not the other way down. Sure. Um, and then so obviously they felt like I said, slighted, they were pissed off about it. And, but it really, again, it affects the kids. Like it's not about you at the end of the day. He's uh, you're going to have to suck it up because the kids are at home. And if the kids are at home and that makes the parents suffer with work, now their quality of life goes down and that's not good. So if the kids are going to be home, they somehow need an education, but it's hard to get that as well. Yeah. And they need to be in school, in school, in a comfortable environment where they can learn, not a stressful environment. Um, yeah, dude. Like, I don't know. I well, just, I've, you know, I've got a second grader and a third grader that have two or three sessions that they have to log into every single day, mm-hmm. and they're home. We're at work. Yep. And you know, if they miss miss one of those, uh, I don't know what the services they use with like Skype or whatever, Zoom, or Zoom. Yeah. If they miss it, then they miss all that information <laughs> and all that material. And we can, you know, we can log in and see, and usually the teachers follow up with us and let us know, but. My son is a wild little shit, and mm-hmm. if he gets to doing something, he's in the, he's going to miss that appointment. He's going to miss that time, and he's done it twice now. And, you know, you try to work with him, but it's like, he's nine years old. Mm-hmm. He wants to be riding a bike. He wants to go outside. He wants to, you know, do all this stuff. Yeah. He doesn't want to be sitting in a house waiting for his next Zoom appointment. No, I, I think that's, ridiculous. that's what's important is for us as parents to realize this is hard on them. Yeah. Because... None of us went through this. We didn't. We didn't have to try and sit in front of a computer for hours a day, or go to school one day and then the next day I'm not going to school. Next day I'm going to school. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one of the biggest things we can do as parents. I have two children in school as well. One is in kindergarten. The other one is in seventh grade. We decided with our seventh grader, you're online full time. We don't want you going back and forth. He has a hard time with jumping 
from thing to thing. Yeah. So we're like, you know, if this is going to be the thing where they're going back and forth, you're going to stay home and be online. My little one, I think it's more important, especially for a young child like that, to get the social aspect of school and see how people in the world work. So we sent him to school. And as of this upcoming week, they're going to be alternating and all that. And I think he'll adapt. I think, I mean, you can have faith in the kids too, but it's hard on them. We got to, as parents, realize and not be so hard on them for, say, missing a Zoom call or whatever. Because I can't even, if this was me when I was a kid, I would have flunked out of school real quick. Yeah. And it's, it is about the kids. And that's all we can do as parents, man, is do what's best for them. Yeah. And try and guide them. And I'm a for, in a fortunate situation where my wife is home. She's a stay-at-home mom now. And the reason she is is because of everything has gone on recently. She decided to make that move. But not everybody has that. And yeah. I don't know what some people are doing with their kids who they have nobody to watch them and they have to go to work. And I, I just, I feel bad for those children. I feel bad for those parents. You know, it's, it's a crazy, crazy world. Well, yeah. one thing I told my older kids, cause they have a better understanding and both of them work and have jobs and stuff right now. And, uh, I just told them, I said, well, I'll tell you what, if my employer came to me and told me that they were changing things and I decided I wasn't going to participate, they'd find somebody else to do my job. Mm-hmm. And I think we just got to, you know, again, I, our teacher friends are awesome and I support them a hundred percent, Yeah, but I don't, this is a game. It's just bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's not, you're, you're not, you're not there for the right reasons if you're going to participate in this shit. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah. that's another thing I think is important. And you having friends who are teachers, this is probably not easy on them either. They're, they're trying. Oh, no. I, I mean, this is, this I, is by far, they, they, you know, the stress and everything yeah. else. Well, I, I know my kindergarten, my kindergartner, his teacher has been emailing us back and forth, trying to email all that. And with this whole thing that just had happened where they're not going to school Monday now. Yeah. Well, they've split their class up into two teams and that threw everything off because right. she, she gave the ones that were going to be there Monday, the homework to come back Monday and now they're not going to be there. So she sent this email. Yeah. She's all apologetic and I feel bad for her. She's yeah. trying She they're, they're rolling with the punches just like all of us. Didn't get, yeah, that's, oh, go ahead. So, but since you're on that topic and that's a good point. So if we're going to continue funding public education, we might as well put a little bit more into it and get the classes smaller, get more teachers. If we have to go down this route, then don't exceed 10 kids in the class. I don't like fucking teaching CrossFit to a class of 23 people. Mm-hmm. I just get pissed off because no one can fucking listen. That's adults. Well, I think that's a, you know what I mean? a good thing the school, <laughs> the local school here does is they cap how many students are in that school. We yeah. almost, we moved in this neighborhood. The school is literally in the neighborhood. We almost couldn't get our son in the school. Yeah. Which, yeah, that sucks. But maybe it's a good thing. There's not going to be so many kids. And I think my son's class is fairly small. Because I know they have to social distance them and all that stuff. But, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's. Well, here's the big picture for me in all of this. We're all going to get it. Not There's not one person that's not going to get it. It's yeah. here. So, what are we waiting for? The people that are going to die are the same people that are going to die. And you're not going to stop it. You're not going to change it. That's a shitty fact. But the people that are going to, you know that are going to have issues with this are still going to be the same people that are going to have issues with this, whether it's a year down the road, two years down the road. And at some point, when do you decide that enough people have committed suicide? When do you decide that enough people have lost their entire, you know, their living? Mm -hmm. They've, 
now they're now they're so much stress in the <clears> family <throat> that they're divorced. They've lost their homes. They're homeless. They're bankrupt. At what point you decide that you know we're not going to nobody's getting rid of this virus. That's mm-hmm. never going to happen. It's here. So at some point you you know when is enough enough in causing all the, you know, this is a symptom of the problem, right? These teachers are having, you know, going through this and because they're having to deal with it just like everybody else is. At some point you got to open this son of a bitch up and get going because there's a life to be lived. And if you're going to, if you choose to live your life a certain way, that's hundred percent on you. I, I support it. If you want to do the, you know, the mitigation and you want to do everything to keep yourself at, you know, at a low risk, I hundred percent support it. But by no means does that determine what I have to do in my life. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to get a thousand people here right now and ask every one of them, what good does catastrophizing this do by holding it off? It's going to raise your stress, lower your serotonin and dopamine, and then you're going to hide out in your house and get even less sun and watch those drop even more. And you said, next thing you know, they're committing suicide or they have a mental condition, yeah. right? Like, oh, I can't go to the gym because something's going to happen. It's not not working out. Like, now you're not a normal functioning human being because you catastrophize the situation too much. Yeah. Now I'm going to say, Oh wait, it doesn't do any good. Let's fucking take some chances. And the chance is just going the right aid, right? That's all a risk, but you have a risk of being in a car wreck, which is higher than dying of the COVID catching a cold might kill you more than the COVID. My doctor calls it a cold. He's, yeah. he's like, I go into the office. He's like, take your fucking mask off. It's fucking cold. You're going to get it. And I already got it. Yeah. Like, you know, and I, don't, I guess I don't want, I shouldn't, you know, devalue it that much, but still it doesn't do any good to catastrophize anything. That well, I think there's, there's people who have a harder time with yes. it than others. Yeah, and there is. You got to have a little sympathy for them, but I think if there's one plus side to everything that's gone on with the COVID thing is it's exposed weaknesses that people have in their life. I really think it has. I know it has in ours. No. Um, yeah. The toilet paper bandits, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I think it's exposed weakness and it's opened people's eyes to certain things. I know like right when this was kicking off, I was about to quit my job. I was looking at actually going to work with Benita. I was going to go drive there. Yeah. And I went and interviewed all that. We were going to do it. And that was, I think March 12th when I had my interview and shout out to your employer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I, cause and I've been with my company for six years and it's a good company. I was just kind of looking for something something different. Yeah. And this is the longest I've ever been anywhere. I am one of those people who I'm always looking for better. I like to move and get, make more money and have more opportunities and things like that and learn new things. Um, so I was going to, I was going to leave what I'm doing and the job I was going to go to is in the construction industry. He pretty much offered me the job right there. And about two hours later gave me a call and said, do not put your two weeks in yet. He says, they just put a hold on all building permits we don't know what's happening and nobody knew what was happening. Yeah. A lot of people still don't know what's happening, but he said, we still have work for now, but if we, they don't open up permits six months down the road, we might not have work and I don't want you to quit your job. So it was really cool of him to do because he needed a driver bad and I could have gone to work for him. My boss at my current job told me, cause we, we contract with the post office and he told me in 35 years of doing what we do, he said, I've never experienced a recession the mail is always going to move yeah. no matter what it's got to move. And I know the post office has been in the news stuff. I like guess post office isn't going anywhere. There's no, we have been so busy. It's insane. I, I drive a semi truck full of mail and we're moving mail constantly. And I'm 
dreading going into Christmas because that's a busy season already and we're already there. Yeah. But <clears throat> it opened my eyes to the fact like I have a pretty steady job. I should probably stay there because yeah. it's, it's not going anywhere compared to if I would have gone to a different world. And so I think it's, it's opened people's eyes. It's exposed some weaknesses. And I think the, yeah, there's people with mental issues, uh, depression, things like that. But I think strong people, no matter what's happening, they're going to adapt. They're going to get through it and they're going to come out stronger on the other end as corny as that sounds. But <clears throat> I also, I mean, families have become closer. I mean, my family have gotten a ton closer because we're home. We're home together. You need to figure it out. Yeah. You either figure it out or you don't. And I think strong, strong willed people will find a way through it. And well, I was hoping this thing would pull everybody in the country together. I think we talked about that a little bit in the last episode as well. And unfortunately with other events that have happened, people went the other way, but I, I think, I think people can come together. Yeah. And that's interesting. Cause like you said, it, you, you, you wish it would pull them together <clears throat> and, like, yeah, I was kind of forced like a private school religion when I was young. I'm not really religious now, but if you still read the Bible, even in the Old Testament, it talks about that. You will be challenged, and there will be people that you believe are strong or wealthy or they're well off. And when bad things happen, they fucking fall apart. And people with a good foundation, whether they're poor or not, they will always stay like a rock for you, mm-hmm. you know? And so it. You can read the Bible and it can be a good sociological experiment or psychological experiment for you. Like, wow, this is all laid out and we still function the exact same way. We call ourselves advanced because we have electric cars and shit, but we are still the same human beings we were then. Um, maybe a little bit worse off because there's so much of us piled into small places in these big cities, but it says everything in there that how people are going to act and we do it verbatim. Like they had a lot of insight on the human mind, you know what I mean? When they wrote those books. Um, so it's like, if you're looking for insight, you don't have to religiously go read those, read the fucking Bible and get some perspective on human nature because it's all in there. You know, um, how we react to violence and peace and to wealth, to greed, you know, the seven deadly sins. They're all, they're all inside of us. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it's, I would like to be able to pull together and be strong for each other. You know, I'd like to see a fucking atheist be a strong individual and support other human beings have empathy for another human person and not make it about fucking religion or just politics. Like, no, just be there for somebody. Make someone mm-hmm. else's life better when they're scared because you're a good human being foundationally. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to see everybody do that regardless of what they identify with. You well, know, I'm optimistic and I think, I still think that's going to happen. Yeah. I think in an election year where every, everything's so divisive and the whole world's crazy and all that. I think things can calm down. I think people can come together. Um, like I was just saying, I know people with different views of me and I'm friends with them. I, yeah. I don't care who they like for politics. I think people are capable of coming together and being strong. And if you see someone who's weak, help them be strong. That's, I was saying that at the beginning of it, the first few episodes, which I quit saying it, but be nice to people. Yeah. That is the most important thing people can do is just be nice. And even if they disagree with you, you might win them over by being kind to them. I know I've met people who I didn't think I liked at first and they turned out to be a really, really good person. It's because they're kind. They do good for others. It goes back to the, you never know what they're going to, when someone's going to need something from you. Yeah. Someone's a dick to you and they're like, fuck you. I don't like your religion. I don't like your political views. Mm-hmm. They leave your house and the car breaks down a mile down the road mm-hmm. and you pass by and you go help them. And then, like, oh shit. And then you could become friends. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a divisive world, politics, COVID, social justice, all that stuff. 
But I think everybody wants to be comfortable. Everybody wants their family to succeed, their kids to succeed. And I think if you're just nice to people, and maybe that's a, a hippy-dippy way of looking at the world, but I really think kindness is what what's the most important to bring people together, regardless of politics, regardless of anything. If someone sees, like, for instance, you're, you're a hunter and they don't like hunting, but they see you're a good dude, maybe maybe they'll be a little easier on people that hunt. You know what I'm saying? Just as an example. But anyways, this got pretty serious and political. <laughs> what, I, what I really want to know about, what I want to know about with what you're getting into, so the government just released some information saying that they have uh, vehicles that have been recovered that are not of this earth. Dude, so... <laughs> oh, no. What, the, 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 Is that a wormhole? Are we going down it, the wormhole? It doesn't, right it doesn't have to be. I can sum it up by... You know, throwing out two podcasts, right? I mean, a documentary. Here's what I want to know. Do you believe in alien life or not? I think it's small-minded to think that we are the only things in this universe. I think it's entirely possible. With the, and I, and yeah. I never, ever used to think that. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, if you don't know what the Drake equation is, just Google it. And it's the probability, right, of alien life. Which changes. It's hard because the hardest, one of the hardest factors in the Drake equation is not knowing how long civilization lasts because we don't know how long we're going to last. We might last 20 more years, right? Um, but if you, uh, if you speculated a, an, an intelligent civilization can last 50,000 years, then that equation becomes a lot more refined, right? Now you're like, oh shit, that's very entirely possible. The, it is hard because for us to evolve, it had to take, um, you know, the creation of the moon, the moon is a huge part of us, the distance from the sun, the, the, the class of star we have on the Hertzberg diagram, you know, scale of what's classes of scars, the fact that we have our star, the mass of our earth, the fact that we had phytoplankton and all this shit creating so much oxygen in our atmosphere, you know, millions of years ago, billions of years ago, um, there was all these right, you know, ingredients that happened, right. For carbon life. But, uh, so if you run all that through, then the, chan- the chances are still high, just in our galaxy, because there's so many stars and there's so many galaxies, the probability is fairly good. But I liked the, the way that uh, Bob Lazar explained the whole system, right? It's like, oh, it's kind of like a superconductor, you know, that's why it doesn't have to interact with our atmosphere, our gravity, that's why it can move so freely. It can sit in, sit in a jet stream and not be affected, right? It's not interacting with the atmosphere around it. And here's how it works. He's come down, it tilts up. Then you watch the David Fravor, where David Fravor... Is he the, the pilot? Yeah. Yeah, he was on... Uh, um, Rogan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so he, Copilot, saw it. The other wingman saw it. Then the third jet goes out and takes the video. So six people saw it intimately. And, and you're, you're not dealing with Bob the farmer, you know, yeah, who's exactly. out there sucking up diesel fumes for <laughs> eight hours. I just no, think these are all smart, intelligent people. These are these accomplished, accounts. yeah, well-read, yeah. educated. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's they seem something. less of a conspiracy when you have people like a pilot in the air force who knows aircraft saying, Hey, there's something, something no. up here. That's yeah. And he's like, we're trained to look at things at surface level to know mm-hmm. how fast you're going. He's like, we, kn- I know with certainty how far I was off the surface. Yeah. It's not some fucking weird, you know, illusion. And the fact that it tilts up and takes off, like Bob Zar said, like, Oh weird. You're connecting the dots. Right. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a strange way. 
And I think it's cool, man. I like I love the the whole theme of Prometheus, the movie, like seeding the Earth, you know, maybe crossbreeding with the our the um, like maybe apes or whatever else to make us workers. Essentially, maybe we're mining for gold. Maybe we're just built to be worker bees to mine gold because we need gold, you know. And like how Morgan said, like Star Trek. Mm-hmm. He's like the whole theme of Star Trek is. Was it because of a budget they all did look like us? He's like, no, because the theme is that an alien, advanced alien civilization went around the galaxy spreading its seed to multiple planets, like the Prometheus. That's why all alien life forms kind of look like us in Star Trek, you know? Like, dude, it's not... It's out there because of our capacity for our ego, like we're special. But at the same time, it could be really possible. If, it, if say, us, and we survive all this shit, and we're around... And at the exponential rate we're going, say we're around in 3,000 years. Imagine where we'll be in another 3,000 years. Mm-hmm. We could be those motherfuckers going around planet to planet. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, well, dude, just just the fact that, like, with Bob Lazar, in, he he was a scientist, right? He was the mm-hmm. guy that helped. He was at yeah. Area 54 and doing all Just the fact that they found an element that was providing the, you know, the energy to propel this, this craft. The fact that it was an unknown element and they were able to identify it. it just shows you how far ahead just that is. And we can't reproduce it. I guess we can reproduce it in, in just a flash of, yeah, it's not stable, right? We, we can't stabilize it. Yeah. But the fact that they were able to discover that they have now figured out technology and a way to try to replicate it or, or to produce it. But how far ahead just that is and that that's, on earth mm-hmm. that's literally sitting in a hangar somewhere you know right now in nevada and it's on earth and we don't know what the hell to do with it yeah yeah and and who knows if they they just because they just have an advanced form of chemistry and they know how to make this shit you know because we we have a i don't think it'd be something that was naturally forming on a different planet because we do understand mostly what's made in supernovas and uh well kilonovas um which is another theory that that's actually how our solar system was formed, which is two neutron stars colliding. Because we're actually thinking that gold may not, gold and platinum may not actually be made in supernovas. It may have to be a kilonova. Much more energy goes into it. Um, so which makes us even more rare, by the way. If it really is, does take a kilonova to create as much gold density as we have, that's even more rare than supernovas. You know, two neutron stars colliding is pretty fucking rare. So There's a UFO flying over right yeah, now. Yeah, there is. That's right. right. So that that brings you to so and I I'm a Christian admittedly and I I believe in God but all this stuff is happening so you know you can scientifically say this is what's happened so does, do you guys believe in a higher power do you believe that no. there's yeah dude and it doesn't have to be limited to so I and the reason I bring this up and I don't mean to interrupt you but because I'm a Christian I'm, I'm also I'm also of the mindset that not that I necessarily question everything but I question everything right, right. so in God what is that actually you know so you know the, we're, we're going off of obviously stories that have been you know reproduced you know, over thousands of years and things like that so what is God could could God be an alien life form that maybe we were aware of thousands of years ago and it was a part of life. And now all of a sudden, you know, what, what is actual God? Is it really this, this 
person that's outside of our universe that, you know, when we die and if we do all the right things, we go there. What, you know, when so it makes was, you start thinking. When I was growing up, my mom always used to say, I think God's an alien. And I always thought, you are crazy. What are you talking about? But as I've gotten older and stuff, I kind of get what she was saying, just like what you were just saying right now. Well, and, yeah, in World War Two. <clears throat> where the, the, the oh shit, where, where the Nazca lines are, like we needed a, a hub, and we had the, some Air Force planes flew down and landed, and they left, and then those people in that tribe recreated an airplane out of fucking you know trees and stuff, and would pray like every night to come back, and they thought that we were gods. So if you think about the mind of people thousands of years ago, sure, before the apocrypha everything was written, you know. We were, we were talking about what we saw, right? Someone came down and taught us how to cultivate land. It says that. We were taught how to do this. We can just figure it out on our own, you know, who taught us, you know. Is it, it, does it, could, could it follow the Apocrypha? It was there two alien species. One intervened. The other one, just like in Star Trek, was like, don't fucking intervene. They had a war in the sky about it. And so the other ones got cast down, like Lucifer and the Angels, two-thirds or whatever got cast down. It was just too alien, alien, right? Was it that? Or that's how they created the film? Was it that? We don't know. I mean, a lot of people will say that, right? Using the Apocrypha really literally, right? Or, you know, is God light? And we were talking about about this last time. Mm -hmm. You know, God is light. God is all-knowing. God sees everything. And a photon literally does that, right? If you don't experience time or space because you're going at the speed limit of the universe, which is a photon, then the whole universe experiences, I mean, the whole, the light experiences the whole universe as a dot all in one place at the same time because light and, or because space and time are interweaved like that. So if God is light, he does see everything all at once. He doesn't experience time or space, right? Um, so you could, so I guess you could go down a rabbit hole with that. Like, are you taking God literally? Or are you not? Um, if we're creating in his image and his mind, I would, I don't agree with that. I mean, my parents are super religious. I always get fucking, my dad pins me down in the corner with this stuff. Like, <laughs> but I still like, because I'll say that, I'm like, man, but I don't think someone who's all knowing and sees all uh, experiences the universe through the mind of us because we are very, very corruptible and short-sighted in a lot of things. We're too emotional sometimes, you know, to, to say that, you know, that, that there's going to be violence brought upon us for some simple things. Like that's the ego of a man saying those words though. That's literally us saying that shit. I don't like that you're fucking gay, so fuck you. Right. Like, I don't think, I think someone who's benevolent sees it as so small to them. Our indifferences are so small. I think to someone that powerful and all knowing that our egos are just like very, um, you know, it's trivial to God, you, you know, like they would all be trivial. So I don't agree with a lot of that because of that to say that he's as short sighted as we are. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I don't want to believe that if there is, you know, a one creator. Um, and that's in the non right alien way of looking at it. If it is aliens, I get that too. Like I just said with how we view things to people who are more advanced, you know, we call them gods and like start praying to him and lighting fires and fucking killing goats and shit, you know, <laughs> like, so, so, aliens are real, folks. That's what we're saying. <laughs> uh, we, we probably should wrap this up just for uh, reasons that it's my birthday and I want to eat cheesecake. 
But uh, so you have a social media page. Yeah. I'm sure you wanted people to check out. What, what's the handle? So yeah, just launched it not too long ago, getting everything set up right now, but it's called Hunt Culture. It's Hunt underscore culture. And, uh, uh, you know, just like this conversation, you know, it's not just one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea behind Hunt Culture is obviously to incorporate all people from all kinds of life and just expose them and get them interested to one, just being outdoors and getting out and utilizing your public lands and really supporting that. Cause that's a huge thing. Uh, if we don't use them, we will lose them. Um, and then obviously, you know, uh, photography is kind of a, a fun thing for me. So getting a place to post that and just be able to share some of the stories that I've experienced in mm-hmm. just utilizing the public lands and being a hunter and being a father, being a husband, you know, just sharing my story, kind of like where you guys are at with the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's a place where you can sit down and share your story and, and kind of get some things off your chest and talk about things and work things out in your own yeah. mind. So, yeah, and I'll, I'll put on our Instagram, I'll, I'll tag you on there and everything when I post. So if you guys want to check out hunt culture, I've, I've been following them for a little while. Okay. Um, but yeah, one of these days, if you'd like to come back on, I'd like to have you back on because yeah. I feel like there's more we could talk about. We've been lucky so far. Every guest, like, we get to a point, it's like, man, we could keep going. So, yeah, we're going to have a bunch of people back on eventually. So, yeah, we'd like you to come back on one of these times. But, yeah, well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being the first guest in the new studio. Yeah, yeah, nice job. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate you guys letting me come in and share my stories and just yeah, man. be with a, a couple other guys and, Thank you, you know, doing doing what we should be doing, which is talking. Yes, yeah, sir. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right, awesome. Thank you.